Yeah, Friday! You have reached episode 37 of the Ranting Weight Watcher. I am your host, Donato Russo. I hope you enjoy the show today. If this is your first time here and you enjoy the show, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. If the podcast app you're listening on allows you to rate the show, please leave a four-star or five-star rating. Any rating is greatly appreciated. Man, oh man. Thank God it's Friday. I have a packed show for you today. Sit back, relax, and let's get into this. Journey Updates. Okay, guys, Uh, not a great week. I think I felt this one coming, but we gained 2.8 pounds this week. So for the month of May, because it's the first weigh-in of May, we are up 2.8 pounds. Total lost since January 2019 is 123.4. Total pounds to get to 150 is 26.6 pounds. Total pounds to get to my other goal of getting to 253 is 19.2 pounds. And the total pounds to get to my big goal, which is to lose 200 pounds, and then reevaluate from there, would be 76.6 pounds. So, not a great week, but I can't say I didn't expect it. You know, some compromising choices with a family in town that I would not normally have made otherwise, I feel like are the reasons for this. And we'll see. We'll get it off and we'll do the right thing because now we are past the communion and we are back to normal life again. So on to today's topic. I want to talk about today uh, the fat that's in our body. Now, there are two different kinds of fat in our body, and I know this because of this new scale I just purchased. So I got really curious about what is the difference between the two of them, and is one more dangerous than the other? You know, a bunch of different questions popped in my head when I saw that there's basically two different kinds of fat in my body. Now, I found a couple couple of articles on Healthline.com. The first one is called... what. Um, What is subcutaneous fat? And the second one is called how to get rid of visceral fat. Okay? So we're going to talk a little about subcutaneous fat first. Now, what is subcutaneous fat? Subcutaneous fat is the fat you can visibly see. When you stand in the mirror and you're looking at yourself, you can touch it, you know, pinch it, grab it. It's obvious. That is fat that you can see that you're looking to get rid of that's called subcutaneous fat now the amount that you have depends on genetics it depends on lifestyle factors such as you know physical activity and diet people that have large amounts of subcutaneous fat often have large amounts of visceral fat as well aside from genetics people 
typically have greater amounts of subcutaneous fat if they eat more calories than they burn, they live a sedentary lifestyle, they have very little muscle mass, get very little aerobic activity, have diabetes, or are insulin resistant. Any one of those, and I'm sure the majority of you and me included, that are that are in this lifestyle are in this lifestyle because we do a lot of these <laughs> on this list. Maybe some of you have all of them. I don't have all of them, but definitely I started because I eat more calories than I burn. And I definitely lived a sedentary lifestyle before joining Weight Watchers again in January 2019. And so there are five reasons or five functions, I should say, of subcutaneous fat. The first one is it's our body's way of storing energy. So when we eat, the food we eat gets stored as fat and to for energy reserves, okay? And it's one way for your body to protect the muscles and bones from impacts. It, it acts like a padding in between those layers, between your muscle and your bones and uh, any impact that may come toward your body. It also serves as a passageway for blood vessels and nerve endings to get from your skin to your muscles. It also insulates the body to regulate body temperature and it attaches the dermis to the muscles and bones with a special connecting tissue. Subcutaneous fat is an important part of your body, but storing too much of it may cause a higher risk of health problems. Some of these health problems include heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, certain kinds of cancer, sleep apnea, fatty liver, and kidney disease. The article goes on to talk about different ways to measure obesity and stuff like that, but I'm not going to go over the whole article here. I want to get to how can we how can we get rid of subcutaneous fat? And most of us know these answers already, but I wanted to, you know, dive in to see if there was any secret that I was missing, you know? Cuz we can't we can't stop being students of what we're trying to do here. We we can't ever think when we think we know it all, that should tell us we have no clue and get back to the beginning, start from the beginning again. So the ways to get rid of subcutaneous fat, uh, obviously consume fewer calories than you burn. That's number one. To get rid of a buildup of subcutaneous fat, aerobic activity is recommended as a way to burn calories. It includes walking, running, cycling, swimming, and other movement-based activities that increase the heart rate. See, I love that part, increase the heart rate. I have had this theory for quite some time. So many people put value into, well, I got my steps in today. I got my steps in. And it has been my belief. What good are, I mean, a good, getting steps in is a good indication that you haven't been sitting. But that's as far as it goes. Okay? Because what good are steps if they're moseying on around and you're not getting anywhere, you're not doing anything, and your body is not working? What good are the steps? And I've said this so many times, and, I've, and I'm sure I've offended a million people because I've, I've expressed this opinion often. But this article right here, this one sentence in this article, 
an elevated, to have an elevated heart rate, I mean, that alone tells me that I'm right. Because steps are just steps. That's all they are. All they are is proof that you didn't sit on your ass all day in reality. Okay? So if you got up and you got however many steps today, it's just proof that you didn't sit down all day long. Okay? But to count steps as exercise or as to value them as much as exercise is valued in the idea of losing weight, it's just not going to work that way purely for the reason of your heart rate is not necessarily elevating during those steps. Now, is it elevating when you're walking up a staircase? Of course it is. If you're walking at a fast pace, will it update up, up, uh, will it go up temporarily? Of course it will. But it's not consistent. And if it's not consistent, how can it be a measurement of what you've done, the work you put in? Now, when somebody goes in and says, okay, I'm going for a walk, I'm going for a jog, the steps you pay attention to are secondary at that point. You're paying attention to how long you went out for the walk or jog. You're paying attention to how far did you travel. You're paying attention to the speed at which you traveled and the levels your heart rate achieved during the time that you walked or run or biked or whatever it is. When you're doing this activity, there's many more things you're paying attention to. You're not paying attention just to steps. And if you are, you you might want to think about paying attention to other things too. Now, strength training, as well like lifting weights, is a type of activity that increases lean muscle, which can boost your metabolism and help burn additional calories. Spend some of your time with your doctor to determine the proper amount of fat uh, if you are not at an ideal level to help uh, diet and activity plan for optimum health. Now, obviously, yes, you want to consult with your doctor, but I think it's pretty obvious to all of us we are at an unhealthy level. I think, I think it's safe to say that we can, we, we can see, obviously, we, if we carry too much subcutaneous fat. So now on to visceral fat. What is visceral fat? Visceral fat is the fat you can't see. It's on the inside of the abdominal cavity, and it grows between the organs. Okay? So this is a... You can see... If you have enough visceral fat, you have a very protruding belly. Okay? And how do you tell the difference between subcutaneous fat when the belly is protruding and versus visceral fat? If the visceral fat is causing the stomach to protrude, it is hard, firm to the touch. Subcutaneous fat is soft and squishy, okay? So visceral fat is going to be hard and much more firm than subcutaneous fat. And I remember when I first started, I remember, you know, recently, it was like something that hit me recently, I was getting in the shower and I was touching my stomach and I remember thinking, wow, I feel so much softer than it used to. And now that I'm reading this article, I'm saying to myself, obviously at some point my stomach was, my body was carrying much more visceral fat than it was subcutaneous fat because for my stomach to change to the touch the way it has, in the two years I'm on plan, or a little over two years that I'm on plan, 
it's drastically different. And I almost wish I could go back and wish I had the scale that I have today to, uh, to know just as much as my body has changed in the two years that I'm on plan, but can't go back in time. So <laughs> it doesn't help to dwell on that. So why is it harmful? Fat cells do more than simply store excess energy. They also produce hormones and inflammatory substances. One example of this is heart disease. Long-lasting inflammation may cause plaque to form inside the arteries, which is a risk, a high-risk factor for heart disease. Plaque is a combination of cholesterol and other substances. It grows larger over time and can eventually rupture. Now, I wanted to get into how to get rid of, because part of me wanted to see what I could do, chase one versus the other. Is it possible? You know what I mean? Low-carb diets are an effective way to reduce visceral fat. In fact, many studies have shown that low-carb diets are more effective at reducing visceral fat than low-fat diets. In an eight-week study, including 69 overweight men and women, scientists have found that people who followed low-carb diet lost 10% more visceral fat and 4.4% more total fat than those on low-fat diet. Additionally, the keto diet, which is a very low-carb diet, may also help reduce visceral fat. A study including 28 overweight and obese adults found that those who followed the keto diet lost more fat, especially visceral fat, than people following a low-fat diet. And interesting, they, they did so while eating roughly 300 more calories per day than the other people who were not following keto. So they ended up eating more food and losing more fat because of the type of food, because of the type of diet keto is. And I know I, I have I have definitely talked about the keto diet in a way. I just, I don't see it as a way to, it's not a long-term solution to me. I, don't, I just, I couldn't do it long-term. I mean, who can give up this stuff and live this kind of life and eat these other kinds of foods long-term. I don't know. I can't think of anybody who could do that. I'm sure there are plenty of people that can. And eventually, you're going to say, hey, listen, I want some pasta. I'm sorry. I'm Italian. It's going to happen. So why put myself through it? Part of me thinks, like, if I can't give my all to it, how long would it take? If If I had to say, no, I can't have any pasta, considering I have... Almost every Sunday I have pasta, okay? And if I had to say, no, I'm not allowed pasta ever again, how long could I go before I'm, I'm sitting here blowing it, right? I, do, I just I have no idea. I can't answer the question, but I don't want to be in that position either because it only makes you feel like a failure otherwise. Regular aerobic exercise is a great way to shed visceral fat. In fact, studies have shown that Aerobic exercise can help you lose visceral fat even without dieting. For example, on an analysis of 15 studies in 18, I'm sorry, in 852 people compared how well different types of exercise reduce visceral fat without dieting. They found that moderate and high intensity aerobic exercises were most effective at reducing visceral fat without dieting. That said, 
combining regular aerobic exercise with a healthy diet is much more effective in targeting visceral fat. Aerobic exercise is especially effective at reducing visceral fat, trying, trying to combine both of them in order to shed more visceral fat. Eating more protein. Protein is a most important nutrient for fat loss. Eating more protein can help fend off hunger by increasing levels of fullness. It also helps reduce levels of hunger hormone. I'm sorry, I'm, I might be murdering this name. Jarelin, G-H-R-E-L-I-N. Uh, it might be Frelin too. I, I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I should have looked that up. Studies have shown that protein can help boost your metabolism, which in turn promotes weight loss and visceral fat loss. In addition, many studies show that people who eat more protein tend to carry less visceral fat. A limited added sugar intake is also helpful. Added sugar is very unhealthy. It provides no vitamins or minerals and consuming too much of it can lead to weight gain. Studies have also shown that the people who eat more added sugar tend to have more visceral fat. Added sugar contains roughly 50% fructose and simple sugar that is metabolized by the liver. In large amounts, fructose can be turned into fat by the liver. This is why this may increase visceral, visceral fat storage. Limited alcohol intake. Drinking small amount of alcohol, especially red wine, can help can have health benefits. However, drinking too much alcohol may harm both health and waistline. In fact, several studies have shown that drinking too much alcohol may encourage fat to be stored as visceral fat. A study of 8,600 Korean adults found that people who drank the most alcohol also had the largest waist circumference, a marker of visceral fat. Another study in 87 women found that moderate alcohol intake was also linked to carrying more visceral fat. However, only a few studies on this topic exist. More studies will help clarify the link between alcohol intake and visceral fat. We also must avoid trans fats. If there's one thing that health professionals agree on, it's that trans fats are bad for your health. Trans fats don't spoil quickly and have a longer shelf life. This is why they are added to processed foods, such as baked goods and potato chips. I'm not really going to get into the studies that have to do with trans fats. We all all understand trans fats by now. Another way to get rid of visceral fat is, (laughs) and this one makes me laugh a little bit because it's my weakness, I guess you could say, get plenty of sleep. This 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 topic sleep just keeps coming back to haunt me. A good night rest can do wonders for your health. However, more than a third of American adults aren't getting enough sleep. Studies have shown that the lack of sleep may increase your risk of visceral fat gain. How could that possibly be? I just want to know. If if I'm not eating during the time that I'm awake, how can uh, visceral fat be gained? Is it just taking the food that I ate hours and hours ago and turning it into visceral fat just for the mere sake that I'm awake? I'm sorry to sound skeptical here, but oh my God, it just makes me crazy that they keep putting such value into sleep and I don't value it. 
<laughs> and part, part of me is like, I'm not sitting there while I'm awake. While everybody else in the world is asleep, I'm not eating. I eat when everybody else eats at a normal time. I'm not eating before or after anybody else is asleep. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm eating before they fall asleep because I eat at dinner time, whatever, so on. But after they fall asleep, uh, once I'm done with dinner, I'm done with dinner. What's it got to do? What's the sleep got amount to do? If I'm finished with dinner by 6.30 and I don't go to sleep until midnight, what's the difference? If I only get four hours of sleep or, five, you know, three and a half, four hours sleep, whatever it is that I, I normally get, and but I'm not eating after 6.30, I just don't, I don't, I can't make the connection here. And... And so th- this, uh, <laughs> it's always going to be a little skeptical for me when someone brings up sleep in regards to weight loss. I'm sorry. That's just who I am. I don't know that I accept it. And that might be my downfall. Who knows? Who knows? Here's the bottom line of the article for visceral fat. Visceral fat is incredibly harmful and may cause uh, your risk of chronic disease, including heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and even certain kinds of cancer. Fortunately, there are proven strategies you can follow to help reduce visceral fat. Some of these include eating fewer carbs and less added sugar. Do more aerobic aerobic exercise and increase your protein intake. Now, I have done all of these things. I don't add sugar to coffee anymore. I mean, but I have sweets, so I'm sure there's added sugar in the sweets. I don't eat them often, but I do. Saturday, Sunday, we have, we have dessert. I have sweets on Saturday and Sunday. And it's not, you know, I, I understand there's no such thing as perfection when you're, when you're going about a healthy lifestyle. I don't know that I eat fewer carbs. I have no idea how many carbs I ate before. I, w- I want to guess that I did. Based on when I first started Weight Watchers, I was eating two cups of rice. When I had like 54 points a day when I first started, I was eating two cups of rice at dinner. Now I have a cup of rice. So I've definitely reduced carbs since the beginning of my journey in January 2019. And I'm sure if I compare the amount of carbs, even even at the beginning of my journey to what I ate before that, I'm sure that there's a much higher intake of carbohydrates before I rejoined Weight Watchers in January 2019. So there's a lot of these things that and maybe that's why I have the result where I was touching my stomach and feeling like it got softer. That could be, you know, just a natural occurrence of how things all went here. What I really wanted to do was to try and find a way to, because it, it seems based on the two articles I read, they both seem to be dangerous in excess, both subcutaneous and uh, visceral fat. But what I wanted to do is try to find a way to attack specifically visceral fat just because of amount, you know, my results. I wanted to try and go after visceral fat just because it seems to be the more dangerous of the two. To reduce my risk of heart attack and stroke and, and all these other things, I wanted to try and attack it. But I don't know that I'm willing to go into the keto diet in order to chase that idea because... To me, the keto diet is not long-term. It's a short-term resolution to a big problem. It's not a long-term resolution. 
It's just how I feel about it. I could be, there could be people listening to me on keto and they could be pulling their hair out because they think I'm wrong. And that's fine. The, the best thing I could say for you to do is make your own podcast talking about the keto diet and send me a link. <laughs> and we can go from there. All right. But I talked, and I didn't even take a break today. And you know what? At this point, <laughs> what's the point of taking a break? But I really wanted to be able to tackle visceral fat, but I don't know that I'm willing. I, could, I guess I could eliminate more carbs. I could definitely do that. I'm eating carbohydrates every night of the week, a cup of rice every night, Monday through Friday, a cup of rice is in every plate. And then Sunday, it's always pasta, or the majority of the time it's pasta at least. And Saturday is a, is a wild card night, right? So, and then there's plenty of fruit, with it, which is also carbs and everything like that. So, how can I, I mean, I guess if I wanted to reduce further, I could eliminate the amount of nights a week I have rice. Maybe instead of five, I have it for three, and I can go from there, or two, whatever it is. I can, I can eliminate that, for sure. If I really want to get after visceral fat, visceral fat. because... When I look at my, my results in the visceral fat of my scale, that when I got my latest results, my visceral fat index measurement, is it, it comes up very high. It's 22.0. Now, the, per, the percentage, I thought there was a percentage of visceral fat, but it's not showing me that. It says it has a percentage of, of subcutaneous fat. My subcutaneous fat is 46%, 46.6%. Total fat mass on my body is 131 pounds of fat. So I'm, I'm very high in every category. And there, this was, none of this was a surprise. It was just a way to think, how can I attack visceral fat to reduce my risk of heart attack and you know the really serious stuff that's out there? I think I've made healthy enough choices since the beginning of my journey to not have to worry about diabetes. And if, if I go to the doctor, whenever I go back to the doctor, I haven't been to the doctor since the beginning of COVID, to be honest with you. So whenever I do go back, first of all, he's going to see, I think the last time I was with him, I was still in the 300 pound range. I want to say I was like 350 pounds last time he saw me. So he's going to see me almost 100 pounds he- uh, lighter than I was the last time. So he'll be happy about that alone. Never mind everything else that's going on. I guess I guess I could really come up with a plan here. If I really want to get serious about visceral fat, I may just revisit this. I may I may want to revisit this, come up with a plan and see if I could stick to it, make it consistent. If I really, really want to reduce it and get myself into even so right now I'm labeled as very high, right? And, you know, the, I'm in the red zone or whatever. Even if I could just get it into the high zone, the high zone is still, you know, it seems to be much less dangerous than the very high zone I'm in now. So I would have, in, in order to get to the high zone, I would have to get under 14. So I'm at 22.0 and I'd have to get under 14 to get to the high range 
And then I'd have to get under nine to get to the standard range of visceral fat. 9.0. I mean, I guess it's all a work in progress. That's all I can say about this. I just, I really thought there was going to be a better way. And it, it turns me off that the only way is keto or the biggest, the best way seems to be keto to get rid of visceral fat. Only because I know that it, it'll, I'll never be able to stick to keto. I just know it. There's, I considered keto when I first started all of this. And we quickly realized it's just not, it's not going to be something for the long term. It's some, if you want to drop weight quick, real fast, and in a hurry, yeah, sure, go for it. But at some point, all of the, because you have to eat a tremendous amount of fat in order to put your body into ketosis. And then when you, you have all that fat in your body, so this is like my thought, if you have all that fat in your body and then you just decide one day that you're going to blow it and eat carbs, you're obviously shutting down the ketosis mode that your body's in because you introduce carbs to the situation. It's like wiping germs in an operating room. You know, you know what I mean? It's supposed to be a sterile environment. And it seems like keto has to be a sterile environment to be for it to work. And the minute you introduce uh, contamination, your body is no longer in ketosis, but your body is still holding all the fat you consumed while you were on or while you were doing keto, right? So you're sitting here ingesting all this fat because ingesting the extra fat will put your body in, keto- in ketosis, which is going to burn fat. Your body becomes a fat burning, a system of burning fat. But if you introduce contamination because you gave in and had some carbs, the fat is still in your body. It doesn't automatically leave your body. It's there. So if you built up this excess and then you shut down ketosis mode because you gave in and you had, how long does it take your body to get back into ketosis? How long? I don't know the answers to these things. I don't know that I want to find out. And it's a little disappointing. I was hoping there'd be a better way. But it is what it is. What can we do? I'll look more into this and I will see what I want to try. But as of right now, I can't say I've made a decision. And with that being said... It's so important, even though... Things didn't work out the way I, I, I had envisioned them when, when I started this episode. It's so important for us to stay educated. We can't just... When you think about all of the professions in health that there are, doctors, nurses, nutritionists, uh, you know, physical therapy, all of these things, and how many years they take to get those degrees in order to practice that profession and even personal trainers and, and everything like that. We can't just come here and say, okay, well, if I eat grilled chicken every night for the rest of my life and I get some walking done, I'll lose weight. There's got to be more to it than that. We can't just give up with the limited knowledge we start off with. We always have to pursue additional knowledge. As much as you are a student in life, you have to be a student of your health because 
You don't know everything there is to know. Nobody knows everything there is to know. There's constantly new things coming out, constantly new knowledge being presented in order to, why would, why would they keep studying how to cure cancer if there was no new knowledge to be held? We have to keep being students of what it takes to lose weight if we wish to reach our goals because at some point the limited knowledge that you and I have isn't going to be enough. And just the same, at some point the physical activity that we are used to doing isn't going to be enough to get to the next level. At some point the foods we are eating, if we continue to eat them, it's not going to be enough to reach the next level. We have to make changes and drop certain things that we love in order to get to the goals we have achieved for ourselves. And we can't be apprehensive. We, we have to know we don't know everything. And that's okay. But you have to have the thirst. You have to have the desire to seek more knowledge, to know more things than you ever knew before. Do that and you will be successful at whatever you attempt. It's as simple as that. We, we can't just depend on, there's so many parts of this spectrum. Eating right, exercise, but the, how many times have I talked about the mindset? And how do we develop our mindset? Education is part of that. Education is part of that. We can't just ignore the things we can learn that are available to us. So reach out there, because the more you know, the better off you'll be. I love each and every one of you. God bless you all.